Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. The scripture for today's teaching is Mark 7, 1 through 23. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And when the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy, you hypocrites, as it is written? The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of God to us. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You guys have a seat. Hey, welcome to Frontline. If you don't know me, my name is Brandon. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, before we get started, I just want to acknowledge the light that's blinking right there. You guys see it? Okay. I know that you guys love special effects, so we just thought today, it's a holiday, just thought we'd spoil you guys with it. So um, everybody just take it in, and then let's agree that we're just going to ignore it for the rest of the day, okay? All, All in agreement? Say aye. Okay, that was very official. Thank you. Um, okay, hey, we are we are in uh, week nineteen, if you can believe that, of our series on the Gospel of Mark, and uh, and so we're we're making our way through this thing, and uh, we're in chapter seven today. So if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to chapter seven. I'm going to pray for us, and uh, and then we're going to get to work. So uh, Jesus, uh, we're we're asking that you would come. God, and today, would you be present with us, God? 
we really, really long for and, and we really need your presence, God. We, uh, Holy Spirit, we need you to come and we need you to illuminate the words of Scripture. We need your help, Holy Spirit, uh, to, to receive these words. And uh, so we, we ask for you to come and meet us in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the year 1173 A.D., uh, construction began on the Leaning Tower of Pisa, which at the time was not called the Leaning Tower of Pisa. That was a total mistake. Um, so at the time, it was just the Tower of Pisa. And, uh, and after they began construction, like pretty quickly, uh, they realized they had a problem. And, uh, and the tower started to lean. And the, the issue was underground. The issue was that they built this tower uh, in an area where the soil was really, really soft. And so after they had just built a couple of stories onto this tower, uh, the foundation started to settle, and it started to settle into the ground, and it started to lean. And rather than, like, deconstructing the tower and starting over in a different spot or shoring up the foundation, they were like, let's roll the dice. Let's just keep building, and let's see how it goes. Like, maybe it'll get better. And uh, so that's what they did, and it did not get better. Um, so what they did was as they built onto this tower, uh, they just would compensate in different ways. And so uh, by the time they reached uh, the, the third story, uh, they started to uh, elongate and, and build certain columns and pillars, like taller on one side of the tower and shorter on the other. And they did these kind of things all the way up. And then they got to the bell tower at the very top, and they built it at an angle away from the ground. So, you know, hopefully gravity would, like, pull it back up straight. None of that worked. And uh, so by the time they finished it, this tower was still just continuing to lean. And, and when a tower is leaning, it's not like it ever just hits, like, a fixed point and just stops. Um, it's, like, leaning, and it's going to continue to lean and, uh, and also, it's not going to like slowly just lay down. It's going to lean until it crumbles and falls. And, uh, and this didn't really concern those folks that much, but they were like, we should probably continue to try to come up with solutions. Uh, but the, the solutions were all external. So they were like, let's find ways to brace it. And that didn't work. And let's find ways to reinforce the outside of the structure. And those things didn't work. And then at some point, they just kind of threw up their hands and they were like, uh, it's, it's not that big of a deal. And, uh, and so just slowly over time, just millimeter by millimeter, uh, for 800 years, the tower continued to just lean little by little. And, uh, you know, people continued to come and look at it and go up in the tower and everything like that and get their, that one picture, you know, next to it and, uh, and all those things. And, uh, and then in 1989, there was another tower in Italy that was also leaning, um, so I have a lot of questions about the engineering minds of Italy. That's another story. Uh, but another tower that was leaning in Italy collapsed suddenly. And so the leaning tower of Pisa people were like, hold on, we got we to gotta stop. And um, so they closed it to the public, and they, they said, hey, we've got to get our best minds on, on this. And so some engineers in Europe gathered around, and they just said, well, what we've got to do is actually deal with the problem. Nobody's ever, ever done anything to deal with the actual problem, and it's nothing uh, on the surface. It's nothing uh, on the outside of the structure. It's underneath. 
It's something to do with the foundation. And I won't go into all the details if you want to nerd out uh, all the details of how they fixed it are on the interwebs, and you can look that up. Um, but just suffice it to say, over the course of a couple of decades, they actually went in underneath the tower and little by little removed the old bad foundation and replaced it with a good, solid foundation. They actually dealt with the problem that started it all. And the reason I bring this up is because as we look at this text, we don't really have a grid for what the Pharisees are bringing up and what Jesus is responding to, right? We don't, we don't deal with issues of defilement and cleanliness, and we don't have as much of a grid as the Jewish people have. And so, so this illustration kind of helps us to see uh, some of what they're dealing with. But what the Pharisees are offering up in this moment, what the Pharisees are offering up is really similar to, to what we often desire and what we sometimes even turn to, and that is man-centered religion. And the big idea around man-centered religion is this. In the middle of the brokenness, in the middle of feeling the world around us and, and inside of us just sort of crumbling, and as we feel sort of ourselves in sort of a, a slow-motion fall towards inevitable destruction, the pool of man-centered religion is, hey, let's find quick fixes, let's find external solutions, let's find ways to sort of brace and reinforce the outside of the structure to pretend everything's fine out here and to sort of just try our best to stay upright. And, and meanwhile, we're just going to ignore the actual problem. We're going to ignore the real problem or, and address the real problem that's underneath this surface. And so this morning we're going we're gonna to walk through this passage, and, uh, and I don't have a, a big outline or a bunch of points. This is a, a really straightforward text, and there's one big idea, and it's this. Man-centered religion will not help you. And, and listen, we all feel the pull towards it. I feel it, you feel it. And the message that Jesus wants to send today is it's not going to help. So we're going we're gonna to look at the confrontation that he has with the Pharisees and the scribes, and then we're going to look at how he responds at the end. So if you've got a Bible, Mark 7, verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. That phrase is important. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands? So this confrontation comes up, and it doesn't have anything to do with hygiene, okay? The Pharisees are not primarily upset with the disciples because what they're doing is gross, although I would say what they're doing is a little gross. You should wash your hands. Um, side note. What they're upset about, what they're getting on to the disciples about, has everything to do with the traditions of the Pharisees. Verse 3, they're not holding to the traditions of 
the elders. So here's, here's what's happening in, in this moment. Throughout centuries and generations, uh, the, the teachers and the leaders of Israel had uh, taught the Word of God. They had taught the Bible to the people of Israel. And over time, what had happened is they had, they had also, alongside of the Word of God, they had added in their own opinions, their own takes, their own uh, additional rules. And, um, and, and over time, what started out as, hey, these are kind of our opinions and, uh, and footnotes in the text. Over time, these things were elevated to the same level of Scripture, of the actual Word of God, until these things were actually conflated into one thing. And, uh, and in this moment, as Jesus encounters the, the Pharisees, we're at a point where um, eventually what had happened and what was happening now is that the Pharisees have outright rejected the commandments of God in favor of their own rules and traditions. And so this oral tradition, all of these extra rules have been placed on the people of Israel. So the example that's given here is that biblically, according to the Word of God, a priest was required to wash his hands before entering the tabernacle. And this was meant to be a symbol. God is holy. God is pure. God is undefiled. Right? The priest is a human being. He's a man. And, uh, and as a man, he's sinful. He's broken. He is defiled. And so as a symbol, he's got to wash his hands before he goes into the presence of a holy, perfect God. Right? That's Scripture. But nowhere in the Bible did it say, hey, all of God's people, all Israelites, need to wash their hands before every single meal. That was one of those extra rules that had been added over time. And there were many like it. Those rules had been elevated to the point that God's people now had no clue and, and were unable to decipher, hey, what's the difference between what's true and what's tradition, right? At this point, they're, they're, they're basically one and the same, and they're not able to tell the difference. And what we're going to see here is that Jesus comes into this situation, and Jesus doesn't care about the tradition of the Pharisees. Jesus doesn't care about their rules. In fact, he thinks their rules are dumb. He thinks their rules are hollow. He thinks their rules are unhelpful, right? Because what Jesus cares about is the truth. Jesus cares about the Word of God. Jesus cares about the commandments of God. He doesn't care about the ideas of man, man who is flawed and broken. He cares about what God thinks and what God has to say on the matter because that's the truth. And can I just say, as an aside for us in this, in this point in time, we're at a place, friends, where we want to know the truth. And we have the Word of God, but, but isn't it true like, can't we all attest that it seems like, it feels like that everybody, everybody always has another perspective, another version of the truth, another uh, hot take, another fresh new idea, right, that they want to introduce into the library of truth. And so, listen, if you're anything like me and you're just like, man, I want to honor people and I want to be loving and I want to be kind, but I really want to know the truth, right? Um... It, it, it can make you feel a little bit anxious to stand here and go like, well, in this moment, I just, I want to know the truth and I want to know how to sort all of these things out. Do I need to read every 
blog? Do I need to listen to every podcast? Do I need to look at every social media post? Because what I want is to be able to get to the truth. So how do I do that? And I just want to say that the invitation of Jesus is not to know everything. Okay? So, so where we feel anxiety in this moment, Jesus meets us in that, and he, the invitation is, hey, just know the truth. Okay? You don't have to know everything. You don't have to listen to everything. You don't have to hear everything. You need to know the truth. John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer. He prays for us, and he prays, God, would you, would you sanctify them by the truth? And he says, your word is the truth. The invitation, friends, is to know the truth of God, the word of God. Um, a few years back, I saw the movie uh, Catch Me If You Can and really loved it. And I'm not going to spoil it, so if you're going to stop at Blockbuster on the way home and rent it, go for it. Um, but I will say, it's, it's a movie about, it has like counterfeit money and um, it's all about like forgery and things like that. And I was, I got really into that, not like the crime side, but like how do they, how do, I was not turning to a life of crime. But I was like, how do they detect this? You know, like it, I was really kind of just amazed by, you know, all the detective work that, that goes into this. And, and uh, th the movie takes place in like the 60s and 70s. And, and in my mind, I was just like, man, I want to know more about, you know, with the proliferation of technology, this must be a, a crazy hard job. And, uh, and so I went down this whole rabbit trail and I found out, you know, the Secret Service actually does this. And we all know the Secret Service you know, they're the folks that protect the president, and apparently one secret that we don't know about them is they also do the, the counterfeit money thing. They are the ones responsible for policing that. And, um, and the way that that happens in my mind um, is that there's one guy that has an office, and people, like, bring him, like, all the counterfeit money. And he just has to like go through it and, and know like every kind of counterfeit money and all the means and methods that people counterfeit money and like all the different technologies and he's just got to know it. And like as soon as he's up to speed on like what it is and how they're doing it, like there's just a thousand new things to know. And I just was like, man, that's got to be a crazy job. And what I realized in going down this rabbit trail is that's actually not how they do the job at all. It's, it's really crazy but they actually, they don't study fake money. They don't study the counterfeits at all. They study one thing and one thing only, and that's the real deal. They spend all of their time studying real money, how much it weighs, how, the texture of a bill in your hand, the, the way that light hits the, the dollar bill. And, and, and it's to the point where they know the real thing so well that the minute someone hands them a fake, they know this is, this is not real because I know the truth. I know exactly what it should feel like. I know exactly what it should look like. I know the truth. Friends, the invitation is to know the truth. It's to know the Word of God, not to feel stressed out or to feel like we've got to know everything else out there. We know the truth. And that's enough. Jesus cares about the truth. And what the Pharisees are doing in this moment is rejecting the commandments of God, rejecting the truth. And we see Jesus has a, a real big problem with that. Verse 6, he says to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. 
you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Jesus calls them hypocrites. Now, there are, there are two different kinds of hypocrites. One, one kind is the kind that we all think of, and that's the person that says one thing and then does another, right? There's a disconnect between what we say and what we do. This is me telling my kids, we're not doing sweets after dark, and then they go to bed and I get a pint of ice cream, right? Nobody likes that guy except for the guy with the ice cream. Um, but that's one kind of hypocrite. What Jesus is, is saying about the Pharisees, the way, the way the Pharisees are walking this out is way darker. It's way more sinister. And here's the reason. They actually did what they said, right? The Pharisees didn't just tell people, hey, for example, wash your hands. They were at the front of the hand-washing line. They were at the front of the hand-washing line with like a hundred more rules. And, and they were like, we kept these rules too, okay? And, and it was to the point where they were like keeping all of the rules that they made up and, and they were puffed up with pride because they were keeping all the rules. And the people of Israel were in one of two places. Maybe a few of them could keep up with the Pharisees and they were proud and arrogant too. But for the most part, they couldn't keep up. They were falling short. And so what did this lead to? A bunch of despair. But the Pharisees were like, man, we, we say it and we do it. There's no disconnect. There's no hypocrisy in what we say and what we do. And Jesus says, no, but there is hypocrisy because there is a breakdown and a disconnect between the external and the internal. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And that's way worse. Your heart is cold. You're giving lip service to God. And friends, I, I, I think that many of us don't struggle with ritual washings. But if I had to guess, and I would just, I would just put this out there, this is true for me um, as it is for anybody in this room. Listen, I know how to play the game. I grew up in church, and if there's a game to be played, I know how to play it. And if my heart is, is distant from God, and if I'm not feeling this, and if I feel cold, and if my heart feels hard, like, I can still show up, and I know how to, how to make it look all right. I know when to say amen. I know when to raise my hands. I know, I know how to say the confession and assurance on the screen and say, yes, I am turning from my sin, while my heart says, no, I'm really not. Jesus is saying this is external show, but it lacks internal transformation. It's rituals without repentance. Jesus is getting to the core of our problem. And to get there, look at verse 10. He gives an example of how badly man-centered religion goes wrong. He says, For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you've gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. Here's what this means. 
the Pharisees had come up with this, this term and this idea called Corbin. And what this meant was that something that was Corbin was dedicated to God. And so you could take something, you could take a, a portion of your income, for example, and you could say, this is Corbin. It's set apart, it's set aside for God, and it, it belongs to God, which sounds really spiritual, right? Except they would still spend that money on themselves and their own needs. But in this, in this case, what Jesus is saying is, listen, you, you say that these things are set aside from, for, for God, and so imagine this scenario. You have a set of parents who maybe have fallen on hard times or they're very elderly, and they come to their children and they say, hey, according to the, the scriptures, the, the actual word of God, you're to honor your father and mother, and you're to care for your father and mother. And so I'm now coming to you, coming to my children, and I'm asking that you honor your father and mother and, and care for us. And Jesus is saying, you now have children that are looking at their father and mother, and they're saying, well, according to the Pharisees, my income is Corbin. I've devoted it to God. And so I would love to help you out, mom and dad, but I've, I've devoted that money to God. And I don't know what God would want me to do, but I mean, I'd love to help you, but I just can't because it's not my money. It's God's. And so Jesus is saying, A, this is really ridiculous, but also this is really dark. This is what man-centered religion does. The, the Pharisees are actually proud of this because they've, they've kept their made-up rules. They're arrogant. They're prideful. And it's to the point where they're now rebuking Jesus. They're trying to put Jesus in his place. And all the while, they're covering up the big issue with spiritual language and Christianese and all the while avoiding repentance. And that's what's at the heart of this. And this is a danger for us as well, man. We can speak the language too. We can uh, go through the motions. We can use spiritual language. And we see this all the time in our culture. We, we ourselves do it. We have friends who do it. We see people uh, who are in the church who when we break the clear commands of Scripture, it's just it's way easier when a pastor or a community group leader comes to us on the basis of Scripture and says, hey, I just got to tell you, no. And when somebody says no to us, it's way easier for us to capitulate to an outrage culture and to freak out and to get defensive and go, how dare you? I'm trying to follow God. I'm a Christian. I go to church on Sundays. I'm in a community group. I got a nice Bible at Mardell's. My name's on it. Like, like it's easier for us to make all kinds of excuses and to point the finger and get really loud and go, you guys are hurting me. And this is mean and this is unfair. It's way easier to do all of that than to humble ourselves underneath the leadership and the authority of God and actually walk in true repentance. And Jesus is saying, that's what's underneath this. That's what you're missing. Because what's happening as the net result is that the commands of God are neglected. Pharisees, you've, you're, you're getting people to neglect their parents. And the result is we don't see the real problems that we have. So here's where, where we'll land. Verse 14, Jesus responds like this. He called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. 
But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house, left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Here's the takeaway. Here's what Jesus is saying. If our main problem is out there, if our main problem is external, then by all means, bring on the external solutions. If our main problem is external, then external solutions will work just fine. But if our main problem is under the surface, if it's in the foundation, then all the man-centered religion that we can muster, all the, the rules, all the add-ons, all the religious duty that we can throw at it, will not touch the problem. The core problem is not out there. And listen, we need to hear this in a culture of victimhood and blame shifting where it's so easy to point the finger at someone else or something else. And I'm not saying that there aren't problems out there because there totally are. But the main problem is not out there. The main problem is not in our politics. It's not a spouse. It's not your kids or your job. It's not in global warming. It's not in the dangers of secularism. The problem is not out there. The root, the core problem is not outside of us. And we're always tempted to blame someone else and point the finger at someone out there. But when you really confront the Word of God, the thing that you always see the thing that you realize time and time again is, wait a minute, I'm the one who's failed to keep the commandments of God. I'm the one who's fallen short. Like, even where I think I'm killing it, like, I just go to the Ten Commandments and I go like, well, I haven't committed adultery. And then I fast forward to the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus is like, but have you had lust? I'm like, well, then you're guilty of all of it. Well, I haven't murdered anybody, but have you had hatred in your heart? Shoot. Listen, Here's what's happening. Jesus doesn't just see the outside. He doesn't see the external. He sees the heart. He sees the heart. And what needs to be washed, my friends, is not our hands. It's our heart. We've got to stop pointing the finger at someone else, something else. There's a traitor inside of us. But here's the good news. Unlike man-centered religion, that when we fall short, we're led into despair upon despair. The gospel of Jesus Christ provides the offer of God's grace in Jesus. The disciples who start this whole chapter out by being unclean and not washing their hands, those very same disciples on the night that Jesus is betrayed, 
Jesus is going to stoop down and he's going to humble himself and Jesus himself is going to wash his disciples. And he's going to going to take the bread, he's going to take the cup, he's going to point to his death on the cross where his body's broken for us, his blood is poured out to cleanse us from every sin. Friends, the, the cleansing that we need is not something that we can do for ourselves. Only Jesus did it. He who knew no sin became sin that we might have the righteousness of God. Martin Luther called that the great exchange, that we, who were defiled and sinful and dirty and gross, all of that was piled on the sinless, pure Lamb of God on the cross, and He was crushed in our place for our sins. And in return, all of His righteousness and purity was gifted to us, as a gift of grace two invitations today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, the invitation in a, in a culture of man-centered religion that's, that's saying, hey, you've got to do more, you've got to try harder, you've got to be better, you've got to work, whatever it is. If that's been your story, maybe you've grown up in the church, maybe you've just grown up in a, a, a religious family or culture and, um, and you come today and, and you're here and you're just going like, man, I'm, I'm tired, right? Because, because I've spent my life trying to be good enough for God. I've spent my life trying to clean myself up on the outside and I never feel good enough. Like if you just put a truth serum in me, I never feel good enough. I'm trying, I'm working my tail off, but I never feel good enough and I'm exhausted today. There is amazing news. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus stands up before a crowd of the, the people who had been under the thumb of these Pharisees, who had heard all the religious rules their whole lives, just like many of you. And they were exhausted. All of the trying, all of the do more, be better, all of that. They were exhausted. And this is what Jesus said to them. He said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Man, if you are, if you are weary today from trying to be better, if you're burdened and heavy laden by man-centered religion, Jesus stands, arms open, ready to receive you, and he offers rest. The invitation to you, friends, is to repent, to turn away from your sins, to turn away from man-centered religion that says you can do it yourself, to repent and to be baptized. Jesus washes sinners. That's what he does. If you're a follower of Jesus, the invitation for you today, the reminder for you is that you've been, you've been given a new heart. Ezekiel tells us that uh, because of the work of Jesus on the cross uh, for us and the Holy Spirit's work in us. We've, we've had that old stony heart that doesn't desire God, doesn't love God, and it's been transformed into a, a new, living, beating heart with new desires and passions 
and loves Jesus. So, so friends, if you're in Christ today, the question is, where, where are you tempted or where are you actively practicing hypocrisy? You know how to play the game. Honoring God with your, your mouth. Externally. But, but inwardly, your heart is far from Him. It's cold. Hey, I just want to invite you to repent and to be who you are. To be who you are. I love that the New Testament again and again and again refers to the people of God not as sinners, but as saints. And sometimes, man, when we slip back into these, uh, these uh, ways of hypocrisy like the Pharisees, right? it's like we're having an identity crisis. We slip back into the old ways of life and we need to, we need to be reminded, hey, that's not who we are anymore. Saints, sons and daughters. So today, turn back to Jesus. Be who you are. I want to invite you to stand with me.